Aloha, you're listening to the New Hope Legacy Podcast, and this is our Super Bowl Sunday special. It's always a treat to have James Bagley share with us, and today he's going to be talking about his experience playing football and smoking briskets to share about how we approach and overcome adversity. Let's dive in. My name is James Begley. I've been in this congregation about six years now. Just want to give a little qualification right before I speak. As you guys, uh, you deserve it. This is, I take this very serious. You guys are my family. This is my church family. God called me here. <laughs> I was uh, living in Maui. We moved, we moved over here. I transferred with work. I was going to a sister church over there, New Hope Kahului with uh, Pastor Keepy. He's still over there doing that. That's a good church. But when we come, this was the first church that we visited when I moved back. That first Sunday, and God says, yep, this is yours. This is where you belong. I grew up here. My dad was a pastor, associate pastor at Calvary Community Church over there on Laco. Was there since I was a kid. We used to meet at the Kona Lagoon Hotel that's been defunct forever, and then they made their church up there. was part of all that. So it's... I've been a Christian a long time. I've been part of church a long time. I graduated from Konawana in 97, played football there. And I went to school up in Texas, Southwestern Assemblies of God University, played football up there. Just for a year, God called me back. I got bad grades, so I came back. I don't know if God called me back. I'll be real about that. But here, I'm one of the fractal leaders, one of the, the three. You got Pastor Trenton, you got Stacy, and then you got me. I'm over a bunch of different stuff. Greeters, Usher Team, Men's Ministry, Care Hawaii. The Valaks are running that, but I get to kind of head that up. And I work for Care Hawaii also. That's my internship also, so I'm tied there three different ways. And uh, cleaners, hospitality, all of that stuff. If you guys are getting tugged and you want to volunteer at the church, please speak to me. God tugged my heart. That's the only reason I'm up here doing this is because God wanted me to, and I said yes. No guilt. Right? It's been a blessing for me because God wanted me to do it. And if he's tugging you, do it. And if not, then don't. And then it becomes an obligation. It's not fun. Like I said, I was a pastor's kid. Didn't want to do this. In fact, my dad said, if God doesn't tell you to do this, don't do this. It's a stressful job. You don't want this. But here I am. God said yes, and he's made it okay. And it has been stressful, but it's been good because he's here. He's part of it. Now let's pray for this message, and then uh, we'll get into this. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak to your church this morning. Thank you for the work that it took, for the, the effort, the intentionality, Lord, of just what it needed to go into this. I just pray that these seeds go out into fertile soil. Lord, bless who needs to be blessed, and bless everybody, here and at home. Amen. So today is Super Bowl Sunday. We've mentioned it like eight times already. But I'm not wearing either one of those teams' colors, if you didn't notice, because I don't really care about the 49ers or the Chiefs. I like them both. I like football, but I am a Michigan fan, have been since I was nine years old. So that's 35 years for people who are counting. And uh, this year, we won the national championship. I'll get into that in a little bit. That's as much as I'm going to wear a hat on stage, though it feels weird. I'm going to put it up here so Jeff can look at that. He is as big a fan of the Ohio State Buckeyes as I am of the Michigan Wolverines, and we are 
The teams are rivals. We're friends. We're brothers. We love our teams. We can talk about it without insulting each other. We get the smirk and laugh. He had like 16 years of rubbing it in our face as we lost a whole bunch, but I'll get into that in a little bit. So I mentioned intentionality in the prayer, and that's what I'm speaking on this morning. And I'm going to use two of my life's passions, football and barbecue, to talk about that. I made that brisket last night. There's a whole bunch more at home that I'm going to have to reheat for the party. But uh, I can talk about either one of those things in depth for a long time. I'm not going to. My dad, as a pastor, said if you can't say what you got to say in 20 minutes, then you don't know what you're talking about. So I'll try and keep it in that area. And we have definitely sat under some two-and-a-half-hour sermons, and no thank you. <laughs> so what is intentionality? I didn't want to look up a definition, but I thought it would be smart. If you guys don't know, um, I'm also, this semester, I'm going to graduate with my Bachelor's of Social Work from UH Manoa. <laughs> so last two or three years, I have been a full-time student as well as everything else. So when I put together sermons now, it's almost like I'm writing a paper. So I happen to, it's, I try to, to keep the two separate, but it's who I am now. I'm both. It's what it is. So intentionality, every time you use a term, you have to define the term when you're writing a paper. It eats up pages, so when you're doing a 20-page paper, it's just more work. It used to be intimidating. Now you just define everything, and there goes eight pages. So anyways, intentionality is an attitude of purposefulness and commitment to deliberate action. So I want us, as Christians, to live intentionally. I was watching an interview with a Hall of Fame tight end, Shannon Sharp, and they asked him if he thought he was part of the top four tight ends in the, in the history of the game. He said, I don't care. All I know is when I went out there, I maximized my potential. I did everything to the best of my ability. So whether you guys think I'm the best or I think I'm the best, it doesn't matter. All that matters to me is that I did my best. I maximized my potential. And I want that for us. I want that for me. And I definitely want that for you guys. We want to leave it all on the field. Now, if you haven't heard that term, it's a football term, probably basketball, any sport, is if you have a whole bunch of energy left at the end of a the game, then you probably didn't play right. <laughs> right? You weren't going 100%. I've, I've had the one time I went 100% and I still had energy was when we played up in Colorado, and it was like 25 degrees. It was cold. And I played in Texas. And when I was doing three days, it was 100 plus degrees, 30 straight days. And we did three practices a day in 100 degree heat. So playing in cold, I could do that all day. So that's the only time that I've tried hard and then not been exhausted after. So I'm going to start with football because today's Super Bowl Sunday, and then we'll go into barbecue, and then we'll wrap it up. So I played, like I mentioned, I played for Konawina, graduated in 97. We came in second place every year I played to Waikia back when they were good, unfortunately. And then I played for Southwestern Assemblies of God University up in Waxahachie, Texas. It's uh, the University of, the Assemblies of God's main university. I thought I was going to be a pastor. Didn't work out at that time. Like I said, poor grades and not intent, I didn't know what my intentionality was. It was just kind of there. But I knew I wanted to play football. So I played, and then I coached. I started coaching over here when I moved back from the mainland. 
I uh, ran into some classmates that were coaches. Coach Brad Uemoto at Konawina was a wide receiver. He's my classmate. Coach Kalai, the defensive coordinator, he was a linebacker on our team, classmate. Uh, Wyatt Nahale, who was over Kalakai, he was a year above. His dad was my first football coach. So I had a lot of ties coming back. But I started with Pop Warner, flag and tackle football. Started with the Raiders, Kailua Raiders. They turned into the Steelers. But I only coached for the Raiders before I moved. I started with the five-year-olds, and most of my coaching was telling kids not to bite each other. <laughs> and it's cute. When you line kids up, I had an offensive lineman who, as soon as the game started, wanted to be a wide receiver. So he'd run out over there. And then you, because at Pop Warner, you can be on the field. So I'd go tick him, put him back, and tell him, block that guy. That was pretty funny. I, I just For me, it's weird. But it was cute. It was very cute. But I, I started with that, five-year-olds up to seven-year-olds. And then I did tackle also. And then we had to move. God called us to Maui. So we went to Maui. And my nephew, my wife's nephew and our nephew, he was playing at Kamehameha Maui, the middle school boys. And they needed help coaching. I had the time. I was just going to work and coming home. I was like, OK. So I volunteered for that, and then went from that up to junior varsity for Kamehameha over there, until God called us back, transferred my job from Maui back to Kona. And within six months, I got recruited and seeing people around. Back, I started coaching JV for Kalakehe. I was going to be up at Kona but Coach Wyatt got the job down here. He says, hey, can you come coach my JV offensive line? So I got to do that for a couple years until COVID stole the season, shut it down. And that's when I became a student, and God called me on a different path. I really miss coaching. I really do. It's part of, I think it's part of who I'm going to be, but not right now. God has me on a different path due to the intentionality of me spending time with him. He's given me different options, and now my dreams, my hopes, my goals are different than what they were. So how do you get to the Super Bowl, for those of you that uh, don't know? Basically, you've got to win enough games to get to the playoff, and then you've got to win the semifinal or quarterfinal, semifinal to earn the, the right to represent your conference in the Super Bowl. So both the 49ers and the Chiefs have done that. But as a player, how do you get to the Super Bowl? How do you even get to the pros? A lot of these people start when they're four or five years old. They're doing drills. They're getting bigger, faster, stronger. There's thousands of hours that go into this. Practice. I think Pop Warner, we can only practice three days a week, but in high school it's five days, and then a game at the end of the week. And then there's the off season. It doesn't end anymore. Sports doesn't end. If you're not playing a different sport in the off season, then your coaches will have you training to get you bigger, faster, stronger, to get you up to hopefully get a scholarship in college. We want to move players up so that they can maximize their potential. It's good for the team, but it's also great for the person. We also used to tell our kids that meals are workouts. Add a protein shake to your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Drink some chocolate milk after practice. It'll get protein in you. Whatever we could do to get more calories into these kids because they're working out so hard all the time. Their lives are filled with intention. They want, we, we encourage them to get bigger, faster, stronger. So it, I haven't really had to deal with that too much, to be, to be small and then get bigger. For me, it's been the opposite, be big, get smaller, but get stronger and faster. But adding an extra scoop of rice to a meal when you're not hungry isn't easy. So that's why I say it's a workout. Grab another piece of chicken. 
have that protein shake. It's not easy. So these kids, they hone their skills with endless drills that work out agility, footwork, handwork, catching, running, stopping, changing directions suddenly, and in case you get knocked down, getting right back up in an attempt to still impact the play. So burpees, <laughs> universally one of the most hated movements in all of exercise, as far as I, I've been around. I hated them in high school, I hated them in college. I remember having to do 400 yards of bear crawls. So if you don't know what a bear crawl, I'm not doing that. But you're, <laughs> you get down on all four, you walk. But in college, they had to stop every five yards and do a push-up. So you can't build momentum. So it's just work. So you turn your brain off, because if it's on, all you're going to think about is how much you hate it. And you just do it until they say you're done. I used to work with a gentleman in Maui when I was working at Eagle Hardware and Garden. And he was in the military. He was in the Korean War. And he said what the one thing the military taught him is that if he knew something was going to end, he could do anything. 15-mile run with your rucksack. As long as you're done at 15 miles, whatever, let's go. I can do anything as long as I know it's going to stop. So at the end of 400 yards, it's the end of 400 yards. You just turn it off and you go until you're done. You might cramp, you might do whatever, but you just deal with it. You rub it out, you keep going. That's what living with intent can be. It becomes muscle memory if you get back up when you fall down. But not everybody does. It's not common, honestly. So can, do we, what do we do when we get knocked down? Do we get right back up? Is it part of who we are? Or do we stay down there and think about how everything is awful? It's, for me, it was a staying down for a long time. I had to train myself and change my patterns to get up. I do it in CrossFit all the time. Now, I, I try not to mention CrossFit too much. I say I go to the gym, right? And then they ask what gym, then I'll bring it up because I don't want to be one of those guys. <laughs> but when you're doing your fourth or fifth set of 15 burpees, and you get down there on the ground, you're just like, Ugh. But it doesn't help. You still got to get up. Even if it's your last one, you still got to get up. Now, if you haven't seen a burpee, I'm going to do it slow because I hurt my back. You get down. You push up, and you get right back up. That's all it is. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's simple. That's the difference. Simple and easy are not the same. It's never easy to get up when you fall, unless you do it all the time. We all fall. We all fail somewhere. Relationships. Jobs. I've made huge mistakes on jobs. Remember ordering a $10,000 door when I was working doors and windows at Lowe's, I think, and not following through that the fax went through for the order. So calling them up two weeks later to check on it, and they go, what door, what order? And in Hawaii, things take six to eight weeks to get out here, if you're lucky, plus manufacture time. So I've had to deal with it. And with that, it pushed back the whole job. We had to put like a door in place, which basically ruined a door. But I made a mistake, owned up to it, and we were able to work with it. But if you stay down and feel sorry for yourself or hide your, your stuff, then you don't, you don't grow, number one. And it's not good for you. It doesn't work out well, because it's going to get found out. And then what? Then you're looking for a new job. 
right? So, and also in football, it's very common, especially with me because I coached and played, to see a player fall down and not get up and just slowly get up and because he doesn't think he can impact the play anymore. The play is way over there and I'm over here. But you never know. Sometimes they cut back. Sometimes they slow down when they're trying to avoid other players and you can catch them from behind. So if you stay on the ground, you can't be useful. But if you get up, you might have the opportunity to still make an impact on the play. And that's why we do burpees in football. I remember finally explaining that. I got to explain that as a coach, which really excited me because I didn't get explained to. I just told to do burpees. I didn't translate that movement into the game at all because I wasn't taught that. I was just do it for exercise or like, if you didn't do what the coach liked, do 30 burpees and you're over there for half an hour <laughs> being punished. That's all I knew it was. But once I understood that this is for a reason, then I, I got real excited to coach that. Guys, this isn't a waste. I don't hate you. I love you, and I want you to get better. That's what the Lord does for us, too. Just because it's hard doesn't mean he hates us. He wants us to get bigger. He wants us to get faster, and he wants us to get stronger. Because he uses us all the time, whether we know it or not. We're in the game. You guys are all playing the game. Where he placed you, where he's put you for work, who your friends are, who you're married to, who you're going out with, who you're going to go out with. He's got plans for each and every one of us. He's that big. He's that smart. He's got to figure it out. The Bible says he knew us before he made us. So I like to start with uh, Proverbs 24:16. So for the righteous fall seven times and rise again, the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Sounds like a burpee to me. <laughs> right? We all make mistakes. We all fail. We're not perfect. Sins in the world is what it is. We can't control that. But what we can control is how we live our lives. And we have to do that with intentionality. I do soap journaling three or four times a week. I should do it more. I want to do it more. Not because it's a guilt thing. It's because my days go better when I do it. And I go to the gym three or four times a week because I need that. It's how I take care of myself. Because in the past, I've let myself go real far. And I'm not going to be that person again. So I do, I live intentionally to not be who I was to be better. My wife deserves better. My job deserves better. I deserve better, and he certainly does too. He wants to see us maximize our potential. That's what counts. Now, there's a quote that I like from one of the books that I've read. It says, it's easier or it's better to do a thing than live with the fear of doing it. If I look at a workout and it's got five rounds of 20 burpees, I'm not going to want to go to that workout. So I don't look at the workouts. I just show up and get surprised every time. Because whatever it is, I'm already there and let's do it. But I'd rather do it than be afraid of doing it and worrying about and worry about it. That translates to everything, hard conversations I gotta have where I admit something to my wife so that we're on the same page. Or where I talk to my parents and have hard conversations or whatever's going on. I, I, because of who I am, I, also, I manage up and down. I have people below me and above me and I give advice either way because I care about where I work at the crisis shelter and I care about the church. It's not always easy to try and manage up. I'm not the boss, but I have eyes that see things. And the bosses aren't normally on the floor doing the everyday work. So if you see something that could be better or fixed or something that you don't like and it's offending someone and you don't think they can see it, then that's I will manage up. And that's just who God made me to be. But it's not always easy, but I do it because it's better I, in my mind, I hope, for everybody. 
Now, 2 Corinthians said, or says, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. So it's more of the struck down part, right? Bad things happen. Life can be devastating. Who we are can get torn apart. Uh, when I got divorced, that tore me apart. I believed a lot of bad things about myself that simply weren't true. But I took it and I ground it into who I was so I would never make those mistakes again. It's not healthy. It's not a good way to live life by hating yourself. You can't succeed through hatred of yourself. Or you can maybe for a little bit. Long term, you're going to die early. Causing yourself a lot of stress. You're going to get ulcers. Ask me how I know. Uh, we lose people, important people. I lost my ex-wife. Uh, people lose parents. They lose, they lose siblings. Trusted people, and they never write again. I see people in my shelter whose spouses have died five, ten years ago, and they haven't been able to recover. So they just go, wander around from state to state, being homeless wherever they are, because they can't get it together to live life the way they used to without that person. And they won't think about that. They won't deal with it because it's too painful. That's where substance abuse comes in. Mental health issues come in on top of that. Most people don't start out homeless. They don't start out alcoholics. They don't start out being a meth addict. They get there because of pain, because of loss, and undealt with childhood trauma, middle-aged trauma. It doesn't matter. We've had 82-year-olds in our shelter. I don't know how that happens, but it does. And we do our best to help these people. 70-year-old meth addicts. How do you be 70 and smoke meth? I don't know. <laughs> oh, sorry. But God does. But through mistakes, through hurt, through just trying to feel better when everything else hurts. I know how that felt. Things happen that are through no fault of our own. Good people can still have bad things happen to them. You can do everything right and still lose. Happens a lot. But if you're living with intention... If you're soap journaling, which is what our church uses to read the Bible and spend time with God on a daily basis, if you hang out with God and you know who he thinks you are and you know who you are, then bad things can happen and you can still be okay. I soap journal when I, before I go up to the shelter because I want to be centered. I don't want their lives, their trauma impacting me. I'm supposed to be there for them. I don't want to be against them because they're acting out in their diagnosis, I'm supposed to be helping them, not triggered by them, and then like punishing them or not doing things I could easily do to make their lives better. People really like me up there because I really like the people up there, and I show it to them. I cook the best food I can cook for them when I'm making dinners, and I hang out with them, and I make sure that they know that I see them as people. If you're a person with a mental health diagnosis, you're a person that just happens to have a diagnosis. Person first. Every, that's what I've noticed. These guys are all people. They all went to high school somewhere. They all had parents. They all, and maybe all had siblings. I don't know about that. But they all live regular lives. There's common ground between me and them. And if I, if I can find it, then we can start to help them. It can help find out once they start to trust you that you're going to make eye contact, that you're going to see them as a person, that you actually want to help them. Now, sometimes what they want is not what's going to happen. It's not what's best for them. But even that can be explained to them in a way that's not just authoritarian and that, you know, nobody likes that, to be told no and then not explain why. So I'll take the time. They're worth it. I enjoyed it when they taught me why burpees were a thing. It made me feel like a person and not just being punished. <laughs> I get to tell a story of uh, last week. 
I got up, I was gonna do announcements. Woke up about six o'clock in the morning, it was still dark. Started driving here and noticed I had a flat tire. A couple years ago, that would have made me real mad because it's inconvenient to my plan. I set plans and I wanna do things and this is the way I do it. I go here, I do this, I do that, I do that. Boom, everything works well. That morning, I just reversed back. It was at the end of my street, I could tell. It was just, you know, that sound, that weird tire sound. So I reversed back and just hopped in my wife's car and came down, did work, went up, grabbed her for church, came back down, okay. Not angry. Just saw an obstacle, found a solution somehow, half asleep still. Okay, cool, here's the plan, let's go. Called my wife, hey, you know, she's like, what's wrong? But uh, it was easy. That's not normal for me. That's different for me because my life is lived with a different intention. I'm a better version of myself. I could have been angry for 20 minutes, making my little fisties, doing whatever. I've done that plenty, yelling at six in the morning. I don't want to be that neighbor, right? Or trying to fix it right then and there and not even showing up. Because I focused on that too. I can't come into work because I have a flat tire. When you have a second car, that's not a real thing. <laughs> at least in my 40s, it's not. Maybe in my 20s, it certainly was. I've done that a time or two. So how do you go from that person to a new person? For me, it starts with a soap journal. I'm going to read one later. That was going to be my third passion, but it was in part of these other two passions, so it's already baked in there. I don't want to keep you guys any longer than I have to. So going back to football, when you're losing, when you start out and you win and then you start to lose, there's a momentum swing. And I remember being on the field, you can feel it. There's like a heat that would leave. You start to like, you know when you're in the movies and you can start to notice the walls or the ceiling or those little weird lamps that they have that aren't lit up? You know it's going to be a long movie because you are not sucked into the story. If you can see the backs of people's heads, you're like, oh, for me, it's like, oh, no. I am not into this. This is going to be an hour and a half. I'm going to be bored. But there's a momentum change, and I can feel it. And going back to football... Last, or two weeks ago, the San Francisco 49ers were down 17 points at the half. All of the momentum was with the Lions. They've had a magical season. They've been losing and losing for a long time. They haven't made the playoffs for a long time. And they were one game away from the Super Bowl. But the 49ers still had their intent. They didn't panic. They could have. There's a lot of teams that do, a lot of pro teams that do. The momentum is not with them they did get the ball back first, but they still had as much time in the second half as they did in the first half. The first half they were down 17, they had that same amount of time to get back up. And they did, and they wound up winning. Now both teams had intentionality, I'm sure, but they were able to take it back. They fought from that deficit to get back and come to the Super Bowl. Micah 7.8 says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall. I shall rise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. That scripture actually got me fired up a little bit, thinking about this stuff in football. When I, when I get knocked down, I'm getting back up. You might want to cheer for now, but we're coming. I'm coming. I'm not staying down. Good. Real good. That's how I live my life. I get knocked down, coming back up. Now, I'm not necessarily coming against anybody, but I'm not going to stay down. Not anymore. I did that. I didn't like it. And if you guys have done it, I'm sure you didn't like it either. We can do better. We can be better. Micah had intention to serve the Lord. He got up that day when he wrote that. And whatever was going on, he wasn't going to stay. It wasn't going to last. He wasn't going to change that. 
He wasn't going to let his enemies rejoice over him. And if you're living right with correct intentions, then when you fall, you just get right back up, just like I did there. You get tripped. I've been tripped on the football field a billion times. But if you get right back up, you can still maybe make the play. But if you don't, then you won't. That's a for sure. That's 100%. Now, there's a lot of parallels between football or sports in general and life. I'm just going to say just a one little saying because there's thousands of them. But I like this one. It says, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. You don't have to be the best if you work hard. There's a lot of talented people. One of the wide receivers when I played in uh, college, he was an excellent athlete, but he was also super lazy. One game he had 10 catches for like 280 yards, three touchdowns. That was the only good game he had because he dropped a bunch of other passes the rest of the season. He didn't want to work. He didn't need to work. He was just automatically good for most of his life until he got to the college level. And then not so much, but he didn't have the intention. He didn't have the practices built up, the patterns in his life. So always show up, always do your best, so that when we stand before the Lord, we can say that we left it all out on the field. What else is there? If this is our life, to come and do what God wants us to do before we go back to him in heaven, then what else is there? What's more important than finding out what the coach wants us to do and do it? There's 11 players on a football field at a time, either offense or defense, and each player has a specific role. They need to, if you're on the defensive line, you gotta plug gaps. If you're on the offensive line, you gotta move someone or keep them from getting to your quarterback. We need to maximize our potential because life is competitive. If I get a promotion, then someone else didn't. Maybe multiple people didn't. If I get to buy a house, then other people that want that house don't get that house, I do. Some other nerd wanted to date my wife, they don't get to because I do. She's mine. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Did you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that. You may obtain it. Amen. We're all doing it. We're all out here. Life is competitive. Just because we're Christian and we love each other doesn't mean that God wants us to lay down and sacrifice for everybody. Do what God asks you to do. It says it's better to obey than sacrifice. So let's just find out what coach wants and let's go do it. So, talk about Michigan now. Sorry, Jeff. But uh, I've been a Michigan fan since I was nine years old. That's 35 years. And the last 20 years have not been as fun. I graduated in 1997 was the last time they won a national championship. And they had to share it with Nebraska. That's how it worked then. But I've had since then, especially the last 16 before these last three, been uh, mediocre at best. And then it got some coach changes and it got kind of bad. So it wasn't fun to watch sometimes. And then hear people laughing at you, especially when I was coaching, say, oh, you're a Michigan fan? Okay, you guys just lost to these guys. You just almost lost to Rutgers or whatever it was. And they have to take it because it was true. But nine years ago, they hired on a guy, Coach Harbaugh, who I enjoy because, number one, my dad actually married him and his wife over in Waikoloa. They needed a witness, so I was there when I was 12 because they needed someone to sign for it. So he performed the wedding for uh, Coach Harbaugh and his wife, which is kind of interesting, when he was uh, playing quarterback for the Colts. But he was a quarterback for, for the University of Michigan, one of their better ones, and they brought him back to the, try and revive the program. 
So everybody had these huge expectations as he had to come in and change everything in one or two years. Nope. It took a while for him to change things around. That COVID year, everybody wanted him gone. They went like two and four. It was weird. If we actually did play Ohio State, we were going to get murdered. So people think they ducked that game, but I don't know. Maybe. But what he was saying in press conferences after losing, he looked delusional. He's like, these guys had a great week at practice. They had a great week in the gym. I'm super proud of these guys after they just lose to scrubber, <laughs> to teams that weren't as good as them. That shouldn't have even been on the same field with the level of athletes that they had. So what he was saying after a game versus what was on the field, he looked a little delusional. And a lot of us wanted him gone. You don't say how great it was and what a great week of practice and then go lose. It's not typically how that works. But the next year, the year after COVID, things looked different. Things looked better. It finally became the program, that the culture, the intentionality that he built into that team started to show. It took time to build up. The kids were bigger. They were faster. They were stronger. There was only one or two five-star kids. They, they ranked kids with stars. Most of them are two and three and four stars, where our rival had a ton of five stars. They do a great job recruiting. That year was the first year that they had beaten Ohio State. I was a happy boy that day. And I was used to losing. You hope not. You hope not. You hope not. And I was let down a lot of years in a row. But they changed it. And they went to a playoff and they lost. Next year, beat Ohio State again. And went to the playoff, lost. And then finally this year, it all came together through... Adversity. He wasn't, coach wasn't even on the field for half the games. Six of the games he had to sit out and do that, different things. But the, the intentionality that he built into that team transferred, whether he was there or not, their identity was what he had helped mold it into. He had put coaches in place underneath him that were able to perpetuate his team. Do we have that in us? That if we don't think God is for us, we're still going to do the right things because we know what they are. We've spent enough time with Coach that we know who he is. And we put him in that position of authority over us to perpetuate whether he's on the field with us or not. I know my job. I know where he put us. Are we just showing up to uh, go through the motions? Or are we going to show up and do our best wherever we're at? How are we going to live our life? What is our intention? Now I want to go on to barbecue, one of my other favorite things in life. So if you've been around the church for the last couple years, in fact, the first Sunday I came here from Maui, Pastor McConnell was up here and he was talking about the women's ministry and they were just starting that up. And I was waiting for him to mention men's ministry, but he didn't. I was the head of men's ministry over in Maui, so I came up. I was like, hey man, do you guys have a men's ministry? And he said, well, not yet, but I'd love to. I was like, okay, well, I, was, you know, I came from this church in Maui. And he's like, well, let's hang out. So over the next couple of months, we got to know each other because he's not just going to put a stranger up there and lead a ministry. But I was able to, God started the men's ministry through my efforts. I had the, I had the time. I had the, I had the will to do it. That's not all me, of course, but I, I was willing. And he wanted to. Coach put me in. So I've done that. We've done some men's breakfasts. Um, I just love barbecue. Like I made a brisket. Hopefully you guys can smell it. I'm not sure, but I can't. But I've done armadillo eggs. I've done ribs. I've done pork, pulled pork. 
When we did our men's breakfast, we grabbed prime ribs, and we smoked them, and then we cut steaks that morning, and we grilled them up. Really neat things that a lot of men really love. I love to do, too, and I have a knack for it. God's given me talent. But there's a lot of intentionality that goes into it. God's our pit master. He runs the show. He's perfected the recipe, and we're just following it. I open up this little container of brisket so you guys can smell the goodness that can come from that. And the impetus, the, the desire behind this sermon came from a soap journal that I did. Psalms 119 is a scripture. Soap stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. So Psalm 119, 82, and 83. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. The wineskin in the smoke stuck out to me because I didn't know what that meant. So I googled it. And uh, the answer is a wineskin in ancient times was a drinking container made from animal skin. It was hung near a fire to absorb the smoke and become hardened in order to drink out of it. But when a wineskin was in the smoke for too long, it had the potential to become dried up, cracked, and useless. Now my application for that was, this reminds me of a client we hosted for a few days. She was very tense, her mind was hypervigilant, and she told stories of domestic abuse that just didn't add up, but the effects of that kind of trauma were there. Meth and homelessness were the results of her trauma. She was a nice lady, but she left us abruptly last night. Said she didn't feel well and had her abuser pick her up. Now it looks to me like she was in the smoke for too long. That her thinking and her logic and her perceptions were skewed. Now I'm near the fire five days a week up at that shelter. I work with people who aren't right. Their lives just aren't right. And I need to position myself correctly so I don't get overcooked. So I can be like a brisket, intentionally smoked, and cooked exquisitely instead of a wineskin that was negligently left in the smoke for too long. And the prayer is, Lord, help me position myself next to this fire correctly to get the benefits without suffering the consequences and taking in trauma that constantly surrounds me. It's hard to get to know someone if you don't know their story. And when you work in mental health, a lot of people's stories are awful. There's a lot of just things that happen to them, especially when they're kids and they have no control. And how do you love someone that abuses you, but how do you not love a parent, even though you've been abused? How do you not go back to that? And then it skews everything else. And then when you're older, that's who you're attracted to, even though you hated it. It's complicated. It's weird. It can be dealt with. It can be corrected. There's hope, but it happens. And I hear these stories all the time. But if we follow a pit master's instructions, I can be near the fire without being in the fire. I can take that in. I can let that flavor me. I can let that change me and make me better and make me useful to other people. Because even though each story is unique, there are themes. And other people's stories can help other people. So if you follow a pit master's instructions, things will go well. Barbecue can seem simple, but here's the steps for the brisket that I made yesterday. First, I took it out of the package and I washed it off. Then I trimmed off most of the fat because there's a lot of technique involved. There's a lot of fat that's on there that's useless. If you have a half an inch of fat on there, all you're going to taste is fat. So you cut off a lot of that. There's something called a decal. It's really hard fat that doesn't render, and it's inedible. So why have it? If you cut it out, you can put seasoning there, and it'll taste better. So I made a mixture of 40% salt, 60% pepper, which is a Texas style. Then I rubbed oil on the brisket so that the rub would adhere. 
And while I was doing that, I, started, I got the charcoal going in the, in the chimney, and then I started soaking wood chips. Because that way they last longer, they make more smoke when you put them on the charcoal. So I put the charcoal in the offset part of my smoker and let the grill heat up. Then I placed the meat on the grill, that's the trimming fat, so that's me putting it on the grill. And I left it alone for about two hours, and I started to spray the brisket with water to help build up bark, which is the outer crust, which tastes really good. So that helps. When, it, when the water evaporates, it helps to make that bark and gives it color. And I continued to check the, the heat and uh, put wood chips on every hour for the next six hours. Then I wrapped it in foil and left it in there till about 9.30, giving it a 12 or 13 hour smoke. And I let it rest for an hour before I cut into it so I can get a little hunk out of that. So for me, it's simple. Boom, 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 boom. But I'm used to it. I've done it. I've learned about it. I was intentional about learning how to do it right because the first time I tried to make a brisket, I didn't learn that. I thought I knew what I was doing because I have the knack. I, I know when chicken's done, I can make it juicy no matter what. I just, I'm good at stuff like this. My dad had me on the grill at 9 or 10, so he didn't have to. Go start the fire, which is cool when you're a kid, and then like, let's do burgers or that kind of thing. So I grabbed my first brisket, and I put it on the fire. It was one of those little uh, cylinder smokers. And I was like, this is going to be a long cook. So there's a lot of fat. Let me just leave it on there. I'm not going to trim any of it off because it's going to need to stay juicy. Well, within an hour, that thing caught on fire <laughs> because there was so much fat coming off down onto the coals. So I had to put it out like three times before I finally took it off the fire, put it in the oven in a big foil pan. There was so much fat on that. When that fat rendered, it went over the top of the aluminum foil or the foil pan into the oven. It was a huge mess grabbing it, spilling on the ground, never again. I didn't touch a brisket for like two years after that. I did it wrong. And I started watching videos on YouTube. and started figuring it out, watching people that I knew and respected. Say, oh, okay, don't leave all the fat on. Don't use this little guy. And now I can, I've done it a few times, and it comes out pretty good. But that first time, I thought I knew what was going on. I could just figure it out. Nope. There's a pit master. In our own lives, it's, a lot, it's easy. I can do this. I've done it before. What worked last time should work again. But previous success does not dictate future success at all. Just because it worked before doesn't mean it works now. There's a lot of us that have broken processes in our lives that harm us that worked when we were younger or worked in a different situation, but they don't work anymore. When our computer system, our operating system goes out of date, we upgrade it. We have updates. But if we don't do that with our own selves, with how we live our life, how is it, why is it so easy to do it there, but not with us? Why do we hold on to things that don't work for us? A lot of times it's hard to see ourselves. If you can't see yourself and see what's not working, then everybody else is the problem. I'm fine. I know why I'm doing things. I'm not stupid. right? That's, that's, I've told myself a billion times, everybody else is. I'm not the problem. It's not me, it's the kids or whatever. right? That's not how it works, though. A lot of times it is me, because I can say things different. Even if I'm doing it right, how am I doing it? So I've, been, I've learned through pain, because that's the best teacher. My brothers had a wrestling coach in high school over in Maui. His name was Bob Anderson. He was an uh, Olympic wrestling coach. And back when uh, Rulon Gardner won the gold, he was practicing. He came to Maui to hang out with Coach Anderson. And my younger brothers were there. And they had to take turns sparring with him. There was like eight of them. And so just Rulon's just like rolling, because they would get so tired. They had to just rotate in. Two minutes with him, out. Two, and the next guy, two minutes, out. 
And he said that pain is the best teacher, and it's true, unfortunately. Some of us are lucky, and we can learn from other people's mistakes. But most of us just think that other person was kind of dumb. And if I do it, then I'll do it better. <laughs> unfortunately, I've learned that that's not necessarily true. So God knows. He's the pit master. He knows when to turn the heat up and when to let it cool down. So don't be like how I was. Don't think that we can just do it on our own. Sometimes we can. Sometimes it'll work out. But is it working out the way God wants it to work out? Like I said earlier, what else matters than doing what he wants? When he's positioned us with someone else and we can be the best husband or the best spouse that we can be, for the Lord, that's going to bless our spouse. If I figure out what triggers me, what makes me angry, so that I don't get angry at my wife anymore, if I can change that in me, then that makes a better life for me, but also for her. And that could be a better example for other people. I don't get mad when my tire's flat at 6 in the morning or when you step in dog dew on your way to church and it's dark. It's real easy to get upset. Real easy. But that's not who I am anymore. It's not part of it. So my intentionality in following Jesus and the path he set out for me has taken me to a much different spot than I was 10 years ago. When I was depressed and not working and living out of my friend's living room, I want to end with a conversation that I got to have at our shelter on Friday. The gentleman there came in, and uh, he was coming in to take his meds. That's a nightly thing we do if someone has it. Whatever instruction on the bottle, that's what we do, because I'm not a nurse, right? You can't just take it when you want. So he came in, and he sat down, and uh, me and our counselor, who's also a Christian, he stops by a couple times a week. Just started uh, talking with him, asking him what was going on. Hey, if you weren't here right now, where would you be and how would you be feeling? And that led into this person opening up to us and sharing with us the trauma that's haunted him since he was a child. And like I had done, he had ground that trauma into himself so that he would never, ever do it again. His life's focus was to never do what happened to him again. And you can't live life like that. And in his experience, when he's shared what happened to him, he's been rejected, he's had it used against him, and he's been shunned. But he didn't get that from us. He instead, he got understanding, love, and acceptance. And it was a real conversation. He said it changed his life. We'll see if that happens. But for him, it was impactful. It was meaningful. That is who I am. That is where I feel most alive. Walking through with somebody who's trying to better themselves. Those are the moments that I live for. I like a barbecue. I like football. I love helping people live a better life and unwinding the things that happen to them that twist us and cause us pain. I don't get to do that if I hadn't said yes to God to be here at church, which led me to like, oh, I should probably be a counselor when I got laid off as opposed to just being depressed and sitting at home, to starting school, to getting my degree, than being a counselor. That's all coming because I said yes to God because my intention is to get better and be better and to walk the path that he's put in front of me. I haven't felt that. We got to pray afterwards because all three of us, were, he was Catholic trying to come out of things but still believe even though the rejection from the church. God got to touch a person. I haven't felt the Holy Spirit in a secular setting like that in a long time. Not that... It was different. I, that was me. That was who I was meant to be. That's who I was designed to be as a person. 
Don't know why, it just is. Let's live with intention. What else is there? You know, you guys weren't born for mediocrity. Not everybody's going to be number one. I don't want to be a boss. I'll be, I'm okay being number two or three. Right? As long as I'm not last, I don't have to be first. Who cares? As long as I'm doing what God wants me to do, that's winning. And if we all do our part, if we all play our roles on the team, then we advance. This church is advancing because you guys are participating in it. Our ministries don't run without you. This is a church run by volunteers. It's what we do. People are playing the game. And if you're not and you want to, it's been good for us. Every one of us has been blessed. There's a reason we come back and keep doing it. I don't do this out of obligation because I think I have to because I'll feel guilty if I don't. I have other things to do. I'm a busy guy. This is where God wants me. This is what I'm doing. And if we can be a part of that, if this church can help you walk where God wants you to walk, great. No guilt. No obligation. If God's tugging on your heart to do something, let's do it. Because that's what God has for you and it's good for you. I want to help. We want to help you guys live your best lives. So let's go out this week and let's live with intention. And before I pray and end this, fellows, Valentine's Day is Wednesday. Be aware. No mistakes. Let's win that game. It's easy. Lord, let's just pr- let's end this and let's just pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for how hard it was to put this together. For whoever needed to hear this, Lord, I just pray that you just lay it into them, Lord. And for everybody else, let's just have a good week. Let's go out, let's live with intention, and we just love you and honor you. Amen.